You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. I want to thank you guys for being here with us this morning. Those of you joining us online, I know we've said that a number of times. Um, obviously, these last few weeks uh, in the North Country have been another kind of uptick of COVID. Uh, actually, we thought we had it this week. A decent amount of my family was sick. We do not. We got multiple negative tests back, so that's good. I guess there's still other sickness out there, apparently. Um, when I was coughing this week, I don't, I don't know if any of you are just paranoid about coughing in public, but I am. Like, even if it's just a simple, like, a little scratch in your throat, and you're like, <clears throat> and you, like, look around, like, is everybody, you know, I, I feel paranoid about it now. So even going to... Uh, I had to go to uh, Mountain Medical on Saturday morning just quickly, and I, I was trying not to cough in there, even though I have a mask on and, and, you know, taking all the precautions you're supposed to take. You know, you just feel like, man, I, I'm being judged simply because I might be sick. But um, so there's lots of people out. There's lots of people in our family that have, un- unfortunately, our church family that have had COVID, uh, people affected by COVID, people have been in and out of the hospital that we know. I just want to ask you, please keep people in prayer. Please keep our area and, and our region in prayer. Uh, we believe God is working in the midst of this, regardless of uh, what's happening around us, right? Uh, he's always working. His church is always moving forward, which is what we're going to talk about today. Um, and you can always gather together regardless of your location, okay? Thank you, Jesus. We live in 2021, and technology allows us to do that. So if you're online Today, we thank you so much for gathering with us. You know, here's just a simple thing I like to remind. A really easy way that we can help others to gather, even if they aren't thinking about it or what, is simply sharing this live stream on your Facebook feed. When I come in almost every Sunday morning, I jump on, I usually put one comment, I want to enter into worship, I'm in the building, so I don't want to look at my phone the whole time, but I usually put a comment and I share it. I just say, listen, If you're out there today, please join in with us online or in person. You can simply do that, and the impact of what that actually does to other people, I've had multiple stories over these last year and a half, especially, of people who never knew we existed, simply going, I saw this on my feed, on my Facebook feed, three or four times, and eventually I clicked on it, because people are looking for something. They might not know it's Jesus, but it's what they're looking for. And so I just want to encourage you, if you think about it, share it online. If you're at home right now, go ahead and share it. Um, I think people want a message of hope in this world. I think our worship time together ministers to people right where they're at, okay? So what an awesome worship time this morning, right? You know, uh, it doesn't take lights and an entire band and even our air-conditioned room to be able to worship together. It simply takes hearts willing to bow their lives before God. You know, worship has for a long time, even in the Old Testament, been really focused on in the sense of music, but worship truthfully is a posture. When the word literally means head placed on the ground. That's what worship really is. Now, we don't do that here. We don't practice coming in, kneeling, and putting our heads to the ground. But we do it symbolically in the words that we sing 
and in the way the posture of our heart is. So as we sing these songs, as we come together each time, and even as we live our lives, this is why we say we should have a lifestyle of worship, our heads should be bowed low to God. Our lives should be bowed low to him. And so you can do that in any context. And so even today, you know, Josh texted me on Friday, says, it looks like it might just be me and Gabby. I just said, great. It'll be awesome. First off, they are awesome. But secondly, it doesn't matter. You could just, we could just come in and sing a cappella. We could just come in and pour out our hearts, and none of us could even carry a tune into Jesus' ears. It would be sweet, sweet music. Because he's looking at the posture of our lives, right? He's looking at the posture of our heart. All right, that's got nothing to do with my message. Um, <laughs> we'll jump on to that. So today, we are finishing up our series on church. So we started this back in June. And uh, if you've been with us through the summer, we've, we've been speaking about the church all the way through the summer. And really, uh, the beginning of my first message I'm going to start in that same scripture today and just remind us a little bit of where we started because it also is going to matter today where we close and at least the, the biggest part that I wanted to push into us as a people about what it means to be God's church, what it means to be his ecclesia, which is the word that we see Jesus use in Matthew 16, and we, we described in that first uh, message what it means to be called out ones. And so Matthew 16, 18... If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, you can, it's probably going to be on the screen as well. But Matthew 16, 18, it says this. Uh, it's in your notes in front of you. It says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the first mention of the word church. And uh, I tore that apart in my first message to make sure we understood kind of where it came from. It was actually the inappropriate term to use in this context. It was not the religious term. It was actually kind of a political term used called ecclesia, and it was called out ones. It was ones who were known to be citizens of a country, and the picture of it was that someone would go down the street in the Roman government, basically, and they would call out the ecclesia, those who were called out to listen to a message given, and usually it was about a vote that was coming up because they did have votes even in the Roman government as citizens. And so it was talking to a citizenship and it, they were calling them called out ones. Now in, for Jesus to use this word to the Jews in the midst of not being citizens of that country because they were, you know, they were being lorded over, the Romans had come in and taken over Israel and that entire region, it didn't make complete sense to them. But he was trying to put something in their hearts to say that you are my ecclesia, you are my called out ones. And anyone who joins this family, you are called out. And really the, the wording is you're called out for a purpose. And so that's where we started. And it's really important to realize that's what the church is. The church is his family, his people, who are called out not just to gather on Sunday morning, even though I just talked about how incredibly important that is, but for a purpose. And today I want to remind us what that purpose is. We've been talking about it throughout the messages. But I want to capture the end of the scripture. And it says this, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, listen. 
the church has often had a mindset of defensiveness. And I think when we read this scripture, we, we kind of hear it in a wrong way. Because when I hear the word prevail, I kind of feel like a defensive mode, like we're setting up camp and we're defending our position against the gates of hell. Does, that, does anybody else ever read that and felt that way? Like the gates of hell will not win against us, right? But the interesting part is the gates of hell, okay, if you are in a fortified city, are the gates something you bring with you? No. The gates are something stationary. In fact, Jesus was using very offensive language here because he was saying, my church will go to the gates of hell. They will literally go to the gates and those gates will not hold up against their attack. And he was actually standing, in my first message I talked about this, I've been there myself to this very place where Jesus stood with these disciples up in Philippi in northern Israel, and he was standing at a place that was a pagan temple, and there was a pit there where they would sacrifice humans, and it was literally known in the ancient world as the gates of hell. So he brings his disciples to a literal place, called the gates of hell, and says, you're going to come to the gates of hell, and they won't be able to withstand you. Extremely different thinking than as the church, we need to hunker down. We need to just hold on until Jesus returns. You know, the gates of hell, don't, don't you worry. You just hang in there. They're not going to prevail against you. That's the wrong mindset. The mindset is, yeah, you gates of hell better watch out because we're coming. This is the purpose the church has in this world, to literally go to where darkness is. I mean, I know we're a couple thousand years later, but I'm standing in this location, and I'm looking at a pit. I'm looking at this hole in the ground and kind of this cave front thing, and I'm thinking, you're literally saying humans were literally killed and thrown into this? That's a disturbing place. I would not want to visit that. It's not some place that I think, you know where I want to go? Where people get killed and sacrificed. But yet Jesus calls his called out ones to go to the darkest places of this world and to tell hell, you don't win. This is the calling of the church. The calling of the church is not to gather people to fortify ourselves. The, the called out ones of the church are literally called out. We're called to go. I love the language that Jesus constantly uses, and if, especially, and you'll see it in my notes later, in Mark 16, he says, go into all the world. You know, he says, your job is to go and preach the good news. I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. And he has constantly this sending language. And I talk about last week what it meant to be an apostle and how we're all apostles, because literally, if you're a part of the church, if you're a part of this family of God, and you want to be a part of the purpose, you're called to go. We're called to be on the offensive. And I actually think when we take a defensive stand in our lives in Christianity, we're weaker than when we take an offensive stand. I think that we've actually 
lost some of our authority because we're just kind of holding ground. And in fact, you see it. You see it all around us. We wait for the other side to do something and then we get mad. I remember a couple years ago, um, I, think it was, I think it was two years ago now, just before COVID, when New York State passed further uh, abortion laws that allowed, you know, late-term abortions and, you know, a, a lot more things were in that whole passing of the law. And the church, Christians, were outraged. Do you remember this? I didn't say anything for a couple weeks. And if you remember, it's, I waited a couple weeks to talk about it because for me, when I see that happening, I don't see something that's overly surprising. Because here's the case. If the world is not following Jesus, why would we expect it to act like they are? And so when we see the world go a different direction than what we believe is right for our design as humanity, it's because it's a symptom of us not prevailing against the gates of hell. It's a symptom of us being on the defensive and just waiting to yell at the other side that they're stupid. It's a symptom of us kind of taking this back seat in the world. Now, I'm not, honestly, I mean, you can talk to me. I, I have lots of political opinions one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> not publicly, because I don't want to get crucified all the time. But I care. I care what's happening in the world else. And I don't believe that the kingdom of heaven is going to be set up through the United States government. I don't. Now, do I want our government to maybe reflect Christianity a little more? Absolutely. But you want to know the only way that happens? Is if people reflect Christianity a little more. Laws, can't, you cannot legislate morality into human hearts. People have to meet Jesus. And when we see laws change, it'll only be because of a symptom of the church prevailing against the gates of hell. And so we have to remember who we're attacking. We're not actually supposed to be attacking other people. They're just, I would say, confused. Maybe deceived. Misunderstanding that what they're doing is not the design that God's had for them. So my, my fight isn't against them. Sound familiar? Ephesians 3, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this world. Paul's trying to remind the church in Ephesians, we're not here to fight against other people, not even the Roman government who has real tyranny over us. We're here to prevail against the gates of hell. And so the church is called to find the gates of hell. We're called to go into darkness and to show who Christ really is. We're called to advance the kingdom of God. Let's read Matthew eleven twelve 12 next. Just a couple chapters back from this, Jesus makes a statement that I think a lot of people have read and maybe taken out of context or misunderstood. Matthew eleven twelve, 12, and this is in the ESV. I'm reading a little bit out of the ESV today, which is the English Standard Version. And I don't usually go too deeply into detailing why I do this, but I wanted to make sure you understood today. The ESV is a little bit more of a literal translation, which means that they've done a lot of work to be word for word in their translation. The NLT, which I love to teach from and read, 
is something called thought for thought. It means they're not taking every word and trying to apply it perfectly because, honestly, our words don't match up. And we've understood that for thousands of years. So the NLT takes the same transcripts as the ESV, and they try to go a little more thought for thought, which anybody ever read the New Living Translation? It's just a little easier to understand in our language. But there is some importance to go back and say, what was the exact words? And so I wanted to read the exact words, more the exact translation words, from the ESV this morning, and then talk about why they're important. So the ESV, Matthew eleven twelve says this. From the days, this is Jesus. From the days of John the Baptist up until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence take it by force. Anybody ever heard this scripture before? It's not necessarily an easy one to wrap your mind around. And it's said in a way that doesn't necessarily speak to our English understanding today. So it says, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. When I first read that, I hear we've suffered. Have you? Is that what you read? It's not what it's saying. And then it says, and the violent take it by force. So first off, just just so we know we're on the same page, when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, he has not introduced this idea of the church yet, but the kingdom of heaven will only be advanced through one vehicle. God's called out ones, his church. The kingdom of heaven on this earth, that Jesus teaches his, his disciples to pray through the Our Father prayer, pray, our kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that's the first mandate he teaches them to pray, it's the mandate of the called out ones, it's the mandate of the church, it's the mandate of God's family is to actually extend the kingdom of God. And so as Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven here, this is, this is speaking to us just as clearly as him speaking to the church. And he says the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violence taken by force. Now just below in your notes, I wrote a little bit differently of the New Living Translation and a Berean literal Bible translation and I combined them. This is what it says. So, Don't take this as perfect, but this is, I like this explanation better. It says, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and the forceful claim it. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. So here, Jesus is literally putting a timeline on when the kingdom began to advance. This is a very interesting thought to me. Because previous to this, we have thousands of years of Jewish and Hebrew history. Yet Jesus puts a timeline on John the Baptist. Very interesting, not even on Jesus. Jesus doesn't use him as the dividing line. He uses John the Baptist. Very interesting thought. So John the Baptist, when he began to declare the same thing that Jesus declared, which is the kingdom of heaven is near, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, that's what John would preach. When he began to speak that, Jesus is saying something started advancing. The kingdom of heaven was no longer sitting still, but was now going forward. And Jesus, sitting with his church in Matthew 16 as he calls them called out ones he's saying the same thing there the gates of hell will not prevail because you are called to forcefully advance 
this is an interesting idea. I think that, you know, one of the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up for a minute and kind of share a little personally. People come here a lot, and the greatest compliment I get, and that we even get as a church, I really think, is this. You're just so real. And I always think in my head, and sometimes say out loud, until I have to be real with you. Everybody likes real when it isn't confronting in their life. But when we hear these words of Jesus, that the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing, it takes some real people to do that. It takes some people who maybe aren't going to be as cautious and as careful as others. That's probably me. I've apologized more times than I can remember for being a little bit too forceful. But then I read this scripture and I feel a little bit better about myself. (laughs) But I want us all to capture this. It doesn't give us permission to be rude and jerks. I'm not talking about something like that. But for me, what I read this is Jesus does not want a sit on the sidelines, you know, kind of barely making it by weak Christian church of people. He doesn't want that. He wants people who literally are like, no, this is our land. We're going to claim it and we're going to forcefully take it back. And to a lot of the world, that's going to sound like, oh, they're on this crusade. I mean, it's where those words came from. Do I think we did it wrong in the past? Absolutely. Absolutely, because when you have a crusade, if you don't keep the right enemy in line, and you look at that, you have a lot of friendly fire. And I think that the church has done that for a couple thousand years. In fact, we literally did it with swords. 1,500 years ago, the church has a lot to repent of because when we read the kingdom is forcefully advancing, they were still confused about what the kingdom meant, and they went and killed other people in the name of God. Not what God meant. Because you see, I'll give you a little bit of the reveal today. The kingdom is one thing. His love for humanity. The kingdom we're supposed to be advancing is the love for humanity. The love for others. The love that Jesus laid down on the cross and paid a price for so that others could be joined into his family. It's nothing else. We think sometimes the kingdom advancing or the the kingdom being prevailing against hell is to make sure that our doctrine is the right one. To make sure that that political side over there knows they're wrong. And we actually get lost on the wrong enemy. And then we crusade against that. And we make a horrible error. But it doesn't mean we're supposed to sit back and just wait for Jesus to return. So we have to get our eyes on the right enemy. And then we have to forcefully advance. Now you know what forcefully means? Pushing, fighting, pressure. It means it's not necessarily easy. It means not everything's going to go the way you probably think it's going to go. It means that you literally have to push past obstacles. It means that there will be resistance. In fact, forcefully advancing in the terminology he was using was military absolutely. It meant that there would be someone who would meet you 
in a military type way and would want to stop you. But the kingdom of heaven would beat them all the way back to their gates and even the gates would not prevail. This is the call the church has. To forcefully advance a kingdom that represents the love of God for all humanity and to not sit back and wait or be defensive or just hope Jesus comes back soon or have a mentality that, you know, it's someone else's job. But that we're all called, called out for a purpose, to forcefully advance and to forcefully claim it. I think one of the biggest ways we do that, prayer. I think we have forgotten, misunderstood, whatever it is, understanding the authority and the power of our words. God has done something since the beginning of time with words. And I don't understand, in a sense, why Jesus or God sets it up this way. But when we speak and claim, because really claiming it in that whole thing was verbally. That when we verbalize what God wants to do, it's like it begins to be possible. It begins to actually enact something. You know, for, for the last couple years, I've been talking about planting churches. And then out of the blue opportunities open. I think because we begin to claim that God's going to do something incredible in Augensburg. God starts to open up the doors in Augensburg and the kingdom of heaven begins to advance. I think because we, we've been claiming and been praying for from the river down to 90 and from 81 to 87, all of a sudden God brings great friends like Dayton and Shanda King into our midst and says we want to we impact our region. That the kingdom begins to advance because we actually claim that we're supposed to. I think the easiest thing we could do as a church is to pat ourselves on the back and say, good job for those 40 years. Enjoy our air conditioning and our new chairs and just maintain there is no maintenance in the kingdom of God. There are no maintenance roles in the kingdom of God. There's only going forward. There's no sitting still. There's no plateaus. Even though we find ourselves there, I'm saying that in the design of the kingdom, God doesn't go just get to here and then hang out for all eternity. In fact, I think we're confused about heaven. I think we think it's like, oh, we get to heaven and then we get to rest for the next billion or so years. That sounds boring to me. I'm like, Jesus, I, I, don't, I can't even conceive what eternity looks like, but I know there's purpose even there. And that his kingdom is gonna somehow advance there. I don't understand, I can't wrap my mind around it, but I know this, that he has purpose for people and that it's always been ingrained in us to forcefully advance, to move forward, to actually be what God's called us to be. In fact, Genesis, if you go to your notes, Genesis 2.15. 
And we see this, right? Jesus creates man from the dust and he breathes life into him. And it says, and the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. I've read this and I've even tended to think that it means maintain it. I'll create it, you take care of it. But it's actually not what it means. Tend isn't a maintenance term. And I put all these words in there that literally can mean the same thing. The first one that I found very interesting that some Bible translations use, it literally says, dress it. Remember the parable of the wedding feast? Many are called, but few are chosen. Really, the better way to say it is many are called, but few choose it. God invites everyone into the wedding feast. The king invites everyone into the wedding feast. He even provides the right clothing, but they refuse to put it on. Somehow, as people, since the beginning of time, even for creation, we were called to dress it, to shape it, to cultivate it. I think the best way to say it is to prepare it. We're here to prepare the world for the kingdom of God. The church is his called out ones who are called to forcefully advance to the gates of hell and prepare everything that Jesus and God has created so that they can come and redeem and restore it all. That's crazy to me. That God has literally put that kind of trust in his people. Since the beginning of time, he says, listen, I'm going to let this thing go. I've created the plants. They're all growing. But you need to shape it. You need to prepare it. Now, I know there's this whole thing going on out there in science that wants to liken humanity to a virus. That wants to liken us to this, to this almost plague on the earth that we're the problem. And I will agree, we are a problem. But it's because we're broken right now. As humanity in its original design, we're actually supposed to make the earth better. We're supposed to cultivate it. To enrich it. One of the words literally is to fertilize it. Which means to make it better. To make it more worthy of growth and sustenance. This is the job humanity has. So Jesus looks on his people, he calls them out, and he's saying, this is the same job. Even since the beginning of time, you are called to cultivate the world around you. You can make it better. You're not just called to sit back. See, the Garden of Eden wasn't just some lounge place. I think we picture the Garden of Eden as like, oh, look, God created this perfect environment, and it was probably the perfect temperature, and they got to sit in their chairs and lounge and tan all day like a nudist beach because they didn't even know about clothes yet. No. They were created for purpose. And God immediately puts them to work and says, here, I've got something incredible for you to do. And the same is true for his church. He's got something incredible for us to do. You know, Dave Barnum, one of the mentors in my life, he would say this. You don't need a word to go. You need a word to stay. And in Christianity, we're always looking for a word from God to go out and do something. Yet he's already given us plenty of them. 
an entire book, 66 books filled with his pushing into his people over and over of what they were called to do from Genesis to Jesus' time and to Revelation that we were called to forcefully advance. We are called to go. You don't need a word to tell you to do that. I have asked Jesus so many times to go somewhere. It's not that I don't love Messina. In fact, I'm not sure anybody loves Messina more than me. Maybe that sounds a little haughty, but I love this town. It's, I'm Messina red through and through. Even as I've gone to Augensburg a lot lately and praying for Augensburg, I almost have this tinge of rivalry like, those aren't blue devils. Who picked that name anyway? Because in my heart, I love this place. But I have asked multiple times, Jesus, I will go. In fact, I've, I've literally grown this heart. One was Uganda specifically. I wanted to go to Uganda so bad, take my whole family. And I just saw, God, imagine what you can do here. And Jesus is like, yeah, but I need you in Messina. I prayed the same thing for Augensburg, actually. And I heard him say, no, I need you in Messina. But in that, I, I understood what it meant. It, wasn't, it just meant it wasn't me to go. But as a church, we're called to go. As a church, we're called to literally extend the kingdom of God wherever we're at. Now, some of us, it literally means going to a new place. Some of us, it means going across the road. Some of us, it means it's going to the desk next to us. Going across the aisle in the store. But he has called every one of us to go. You don't need to wonder. If you see a person in the grocery store and you just think about them, I wonder if they know Jesus, you don't need to wait to hear anything else. Just being honest. We always do, me included. And in fact, even when he tells me something, I'm like, I'm too busy. That's too weird. I've talked myself out of it a thousand times. We don't need words from God to speak into us to actually go and extend his kingdom. He's given them to us over and over and over and over. The kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing and the forceful claimant. I don't want to maintain. I want us to claim what Jesus has already prepared for us. I want to go to the gates of hell and I want to knock them down and I want to say, depression, you have no place in people's lives. Addiction, you have no place in people's lives. Hopelessness, you have no place in the North Country. Disease, you have no place in people's bodies. I want to go to where the gates of hell are and tell the enemy, remind them, really, you've already lost. Even Jesus, right, in this, this one story where he crosses the Sea of Galilee and he goes to this place where there's this demonized man. Have you heard this story called the Gadarean man? And he's literally tied up naked in a cemetery because he's demonized. He's possessed, and everyone's terrified of him. So Jesus goes to this guy. The guy comes running to him, actually. And then the demons begin to speak. Creepy stuff, I know. And they say to him, 
have you come early for us? And Jesus says, not yet, but you're going to leave this man. And they literally ask permission. Totally weird story, I know. Can we go into the pigs over there? And Jesus is like, yeah, sure. Demons go into the pigs, they all run off a cliff and die. This actually happened. Don't try to get me to preach on that message. But what I'm saying is, Jesus goes across the sea and meets someone who's literally just oppressed right where they're at. I mean, I don't think it gets worse than that. Tied up naked in a cemetery. And these demons, they already know they've lost and they're wondering if he's just come early. I want to show up early for the gates of hell. I want them to say, wait a second, Augensburg is our place. And I want to say, no, it's not. The North Country, no, 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 this is burnt over. People don't want religion. They don't want Jesus anymore. And I want to say, yes, they do. No, 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 no one wants to, to hear your story or hear those songs anymore. This place, it's too Democrat, it's too blue, or it's too crazy, or it's too conspiracy theory. And I want to say, no, it's not. Because people are desperate for their purpose and their identity and their life. And maybe the church has misrepresented it in the past, but we're going to try to do better this time. And we need to go and knock on the gates of hell. First in prayer. And then literally however God tells us to do it. And we need to forcefully claim what he has for us. From the river to 90, from 81 to 87, there's a million people. A million people. That I don't understand why I even care about them. But I know that the way I care is a tiny drop of how Christ cares. And I don't want to sit back and honestly hold on to our eternity while we let others' eternities slip by. We're called to go. We're called to advance. We're called to keep, care, prepare, and shape the world around us. We've already been called out since the beginning of time. We're called to go into all the world. Mark 16, 15. It's simple. If you're wondering if God's called you there, ask yourself, is it in the world? If it is, you're called there. You're called there. If you find yourself there, you're called there. If you think it's by mistake or happenstance or just random circumstances, it's not. God will use you right then and there. Whatever situation brings you to a part of the world around you, when we have the eyes that God is now literally advancing his kingdom there, he's called you there. Every one of us, and I sincerely believe, sincerely it's every one of us. It's not just me. It's not just Dayton and Shanda King. It's not just a couple that maybe will hold some title called pastor in a church. It's anyone who says, I want to get in the game. I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I don't want to wait in the house. I actually want to be called out for a purpose. I'm going to go where God says. I'm going to do what God says. 
I'm going to advance this kingdom and I'm going to look for the right enemy in the process. Why don't we stand this morning? Matthew 16, 18, again, I love this because so much happens in this one scripture. And he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I love this because he's not only speaking to his church, his called out ones in that moment, he's speaking very individualistically to Peter. But it's not exclusively to Peter. You can insert your name in there today. And I tell you, you are Dayton King. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Put your name in there. And I tell you, you're Tony Ramsdale. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I tell you, you're Nicole Latrey. And I will build my church on this rock, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Every one of you deserves your name in that same sentence. Listen, look at Peter's life. You're just about as good as he is. The gates of hell cannot withstand when we actually stand up and advance against it. But the probably the biggest lie where they win is just to keep us sitting down. Waiting to be convinced that I'm actually called. Trying to overcome the obstacles that try to convince us you're just a parishioner or a congregational member. You're not that important. But when we get over that obstacle and we stand up and we put our our own name in that line and we realize God has called us, me, he wants to build his church on me. I'm one of the living stones that Peter repeats and that Paul repeats in Ephesians. I'm the living stone he's talking about. Yes, you are. And at that moment, the gates of hell cannot prevail because the church stands up together and advances his kingdom which is to show his love to this world to show his true character to humanity so I ask you today how are you advancing the kingdom of God today I'm going to pray ask Josh just to maybe sing a song Josh and Gabby take this moment As they sing, I I wanted to throw that worship thought in there today because the first thing you have to wrap your mind around in Christianity is you're no longer in charge and you have to have your head on the ground. As Americans, it's probably our hardest thing. And so in this moment of worship, if we want to advance the kingdom of God, we have to do it submitted to Jesus. And maybe you're listening online, maybe you're watching, and maybe you're in this room and you're just saying, I don't even know 
if I'm a part of this team. I don't know if I am a part of God's called out ones. I can tell you you are, but you still have to join the team. You still have to get saved if you want to use the old language. And it's as simple as this, God, I don't want my way anymore. I recognize I've messed it up. I want to follow you. If you say those words, if you whisper them, if your heart inclines downward and you have this posture in front of Christ, immediately you become reconciled with him. That's the price Jesus paid for on the cross, to make it an easy reconciliation. An open door for every person, an invitation for every person. We just have to receive it in a moment and take it. You can take it right now, wherever you're at, watching online, in this room, in your seat. You have to just bow your heart. I'm going to pray, and if that's you, I want you to do it for yourself. And if you're in this room, and as a Christian, maybe you've realized you haven't bowed enough, bow a little more today. And let's be the church God's called us to be. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. God, we know that you've called every one of us. And God, I ask right now that you would just break down every obstacle and every mindset that maybe has been built up around us or words spoken into us that would cause us to doubt being called, that would cause us to to doubt what you have for us, God, that would cause us to doubt that we're useful in your kingdom, God. And I would ask right now that you would begin to just put something inside us that causes us to want to rise up and say, we're a part of God's kingdom. We're a part of his called out ones. We're a part of his church. And we're not going to be quiet sitting on the sidelines. We're going to advance his kingdom. We're going to show his goodness and his love to the world around us. So Father, I ask as we sing this last song, challenge our hearts. Help us to submit to you and help us to be the church you've called us to be. Let's sing.
Jesus, we're thankful that you're the cornerstone of all of us. That really nothing can be built without you holding it up, Christ. And so, Father, we just submit to you today, God. We just lower our lives to you today, even as Paul wrote in Romans, God, that we offer our lives as a living sacrifice to you, God. We want to be a part of what you're doing in this world. God, don't let us be a complacent people. Don't let us just sit back. Don't let us watch others from the sidelines. But God, let us walk out and advance what you've called us to do. God, I thank you for every person in this room and every person watching online. God, we ask for your blessing over their lives in Jesus' name. God, I ask right now that this week you would do something incredible using them for your kingdom. God, that there'd be story after story of your kingdom advancing today, this week, through the hands of everyone in this room and everyone watching online. So God, we give you the glory this morning. We thank you for who you are. We want to be reminded of what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have an awesome day, and we will see you soon. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week, and have a blessed day.